Welcome to the Watchers of the Skies program. I'm Carlos Campo, president here at Ashland University. I'm joined by Dennis Montecruces. Dennis, how are you today? I'm doing great. I'm enjoying the summer weather. Yeah, well, you know, it's yeah. pretty nice out there. It in is. The 50s, might hit 60 tomorrow, so we'll take it. Mm -hmm. We're joined by Ellie and Michaela, Will, Abby, and Jonathan in the studio. This is our last podcast, videocast, vcast of the, of the season, as it were. We're ending the semester on a high note, we hope. You know, Dennis... One of the things that's clear, the Watchers of the Skies, you know, the, our title is taken from a Keats poem. It implies, at the very least, that we are committed to the humanities, that we believe there's value in students thinking about uh, these thoughts as, as Keats thought about a translation that he had recently read was a little, little bit like for him discovering a new planet, you know, mm -hmm. that kind of thing. So we're watching the skies. I'm going to take us and our, our listeners on an exciting journey. Isn't that a nice way to preface it? I let them know it's exciting, whether they believe it or not. Here's the exciting journey. You remember the play Endgame by Samuel Beckett. So here it is. I, I can't remember, but someone made me read that years <laughs> and years ago. Made you read ago. that play. Yeah. Well, and again, it's added to your life. You remember, and Dennis, because you are a chess master, not, I don't use that word loosely, you, to achieve ma master level mm -hmm. by, by the USCF, uh, by the chess rating uh, committee in, uh, in America, you have to have what numerical value? What's the 2200? 2200. And again, you achieve higher, this. Higher is better. Higher yeah. is better in yeah. this case. Yeah. You know, like a golfer in a handicap, that one lower is better. But, but like a golfer, you achieve that handicap based upon your play and, mm -hmm. and that sort of thing. With chess, of course, you have to defeat people who are of higher and lower numbers and your current rating what's your current it rating? is 2383 i think okay, or 2385 big number folks so this man as he speaks about endgame knows this much if you were in an endgame in a chess game and only two pieces are on the board what two pieces would they have to be well there'd have to be a pair of kings a pair of kings is correct yes. it's a good hand if you're playing hold'em but it's right. not good at chess and why would you not play that end game if you were playing a game of chess because there's no possible way to give checkmate there's no possible way to give checkmate so what would you do with a game like that it would have been over you it's, it's agree to a draw and well it's, it's not even that you have to agree it's just it is a draw and that's the end of it that's the end of the game but in this play by samuel beckett of course they continue to play despite the fact that there's no purpose in their playing. It's completely inane, and he seems to compare it to our own lives. Right. Our discussion today is about the humanities, Dennis. And again, perhaps I'm not lifting up the right play, <laughs> at least not for you. It would not be that play that would be the one you would use to defend the humanities, but you're a philosopher. It's, it's, it's part and parcel. So here we are defending the humanities, but in this recent article that we read, this author says that defense is the wrong place to begin. Why does she say that? What's her qualm about def being defensive in the humanities? Because she thinks that the, the value of the humanities is that it's, it's a, an inquisitive um, project, that we're trying to learn truth, we're trying to understand, we're trying to understand, and that requires asking questions. So to defend it is to assume, well, here's some, here's some set of goods or some particular good that we can just say, well, here it is. But that's not what the humanities are typically doing, right? So you're exploring this, you're exploring that, you're thinking about these questions in a, in a deeper and deeper way. So to, to have a defense kind of suggests, well, I can say, here's what the value is, and as if we're giving you some kind of concrete results, some finished thing, right. which is not really what the humanities does. Well, it's interesting because she even talks about a colleague of hers, right, that stopped 
teaching her favorite novel novel right. because she lost that yeah. inquisitive. Yeah, it's like she'd figured out all that she felt that she could figure out, figure out about the novel, so move on to something else. Part of me wants to say couldn't have been a very good novel, but <laughs> I, I, I won't say that. I did not say that. Strike the record. She does say, I'm prepared to come out and admit I do not know the value of the humanities. I do not know whether the study of humanities promotes democracy improves your moral character or enriches your leisure time or improves your critical thinking skills or increases your sympathy. You know, these are often the kinds of things that are often mentioned to say this is why we do teach the humanities. All right, Dennis, come on, jump in there, not defensively, but give us a sense of that. Are you agreeing with that? No moral character improvement, at least enriches your leisure time? I mean, well, I mean, I think part of this is that you, you have to kind of decide. I mean, are, are you doing it because you're just pursuing truth, or do you think that there is some truth that, mm. that's been found? Mm. Um, if we really don't know, I mean, it is... I, so, I mean, let's say at the broadest level, right, what, what we're all doing, you can think of it as this communal project where we're, we're trying to discover truth, but I, I'm at least not inclined to say that we haven't found any truth. Good. So, I mean, I don't, I don't want, to, want to do that. No, you're not going that far. Yeah. Right. So, you know, there is this kind of tension between what, is, what are the humanities trying to do as a whole versus what do particular people believe, you know, what's, where do you come down on, mm-hmm. on this issue and that issue and that mm-hmm. issue? Well, it's interesting because I know in a later podcast we're going to be talking about this idea of viewpoint neutrality right. and uh, I, I look forward to that i think we both agree that it's it's probably not healthy it's certainly not human in some ways and i don't know that any student does want some someone or a faculty member that's completely viewpoint neutral at the same time they don't want to be told what right. to think about particular co- uh, you know topics but you know I, I i of course have spent much of my career defending the humanities from those who say well look my kid spent $40,000 and they're a barista at Starbucks <laughs> and one of the things i say is well talk to them in 5 years and see what they're doing because you know being a barista at Starbucks isn't such a horrible thing lots of great people have been in that role you know but i i often go back to that uh, great line from king lear where you know one of his horrible daughters he's got one good one and two lousy right. ones <laughs> poor king lear you know says to her, her father you know why, why the need for this retinue why do you have to have all these men and all of this stuff uh, yes you're a king but is there really a need for all of this and his response is reason not the need and i think it's to me, part of who we are as human beings. If, if all we're thinking about is education should be about what is needed. You know, this whole drive to let's just teach stuff that gets kids jobs and mm-hmm. everything else is superfluous. Well, you know, some of the greatest artists have said superfluity is at the very heart of what it means to be human, not what we need. You know, that's, that's what animals consider. You know, what do you need to survive? Certainly don't ever need to hear sonnet. 55 by Shakespeare, but the beauty in it, what's the power in looking at, you know, a great painting by Moreau or, you know, whomever you you would say, uh, I think it's one of the distinguishing characteristics of being human. You don't see elephants contemplating, you know, a Van Gogh or a Frost poem. Uh, So, you know, I I think in some ways, is it Callan is the author here? Callard, yeah, yeah. Agnes Callard. Yeah, she's being a little uh, tongue-in-cheek, I think. You know, yeah, Agnes Collard, uh, she's at University of Chicago, mm-hmm. phenomenal institution of learning that, that has 
had a tradition of uh, humanities that goes back uh, quite some time. And I think before the article's over, she does, you know, backtrack a little, at least maybe indicate that she's being provocative uh, with her title. And I think once you begin having to defend the value of humanities, you've al already lost, I think, is part of it. But would you say, you know, you have to make this argument, especially when you're in a required course mm -hmm. of, like philosophy, right? So Philosophy right. 101, you get and look at these syllogisms, and oh my goodness, about halfway through the opening first few classes, a lot of students are starting to doze off. So how do you pull them in, Dennis? What's, what's the argument that keeps students engaged? What's the value of philosophy, per se? It's tough. Mm. Um, I mean, it's because we're not inclined. I, I think there's two problems with philosophy in particular. One mm. is that we're not terribly inclined to, to go in this kind of deep way to sort of almost mathematize our, our thinking. Uh, on the one hand, the other problem is that we think we, we have opinions about all these things. And so it, you have to kind of make the point that, well, we're going a bit deeper, right? So it's not just, I've got my opinion, you shoot your opinion, and we'll, we'll kind of have at it. Right. But there, there are actually rigorous ways of doing this. So I think what you try to do is you try to hit these really big questions that are interesting. Um, Socrates is always a great way to start, right? So you've got... You think so, but do your students yeah, think well, so? Yeah, I think the dialogue form right. makes, it, makes it appealing, and you right. see this guy who's willing to be a martyr for his beliefs. Right. Right, and he's also a smart aleck, and he's, you know, thumbing his nose at the establishment. So there are all kinds of things about him that make it, make it very interesting, right? So he's kind of a good gateway drug to the, <laughs> the more kind of rigorous mathematical sorts of things that, that we do later on. But, yeah, I mean, it is, it is a challenge um, to, to get people, but, but that, that at least helps. But, um, yeah, you're not going to win too many people over by saying, well, you know, if you do this, you'll score well on your LSAT four years from now. Sure. Uh, but, but those are the kinds of things that we do sometimes have to say to try to, you know, persuade administrations. Not years, of course, but... Never. Yeah, which is why we have, what, we have like six required philosophy classes, right? <laughs> no. Um, but, but that sort of thing, I mean, there are some, let's say, cash value, practical value, practical points to philosophy, but that's not why anyone... Any real philosopher is doing philosophy. Right. So right. that's just it's true. kind of thrown in, thrown in the bargain. No, and I think you bring up an important point. There are some colleges and universities that don't have requirements at all, right, that allow students to choose their own curricular path uh, right. to get the degree that they need. And it is difficult when you sit down with academics and say, what must we require? Mm -hmm. What are the things that all schools require? Honestly, today there is no such thing, right? One of, the, one of the groups that has kind of come out and shown the weaknesses in core requirements is called ACTA. I don't know if you know this, the American Council of Trustees and Alumni. Okay. They're the ones that actually assign a letter grade. So our listeners can actually Google that <laughs> and look at the letter grade that each school gets assigned. I'm not proud of the fact that I think we get a D mm. here at Ashland, but on the flip side... But on, on, the what, on what basis? So here's the basis. So if you look at what a student has to take, I'm looking at our students here in, in the, the studio, they're probably glad that we get a D as a university because mm. that means that they're not required to take economics per se is another you know requirement english math etc across the board some of these they are required but if they don't meet their you have to meet six of the seven to get an a from acta you know what we believe at ashland is that our core provides a good basis for all students and gives them more options they think the acta requirements are a little bit too restrictive i never fully agreed with that but we've landed in this place i guess my point is that's not a simple thing Ask a student what they think is, was the most useful class they've ever had. The same struggle you have in, in your field of philosophy I had when I taught composition, right? To get a student to believe that 
being able to write effectively, understand how a thesis statement holds things together, and there's a topic sentence in each paragraph, then there's a cohesion and all the rest, it, it wasn't easy. And that even things like punctuation mattered. You know, I remember a colleague of mine, actually, a Hispanic man whose, wife, whose uh, mom worked at, uh, in, in the U.S. government, wrote about guerrilla warfare and, and just didn't know that it was spelled, right. it was not spelled like the animal, right. spelled guerrilla, spell check didn't help her, and she lost her job over it. Wow. And again, kind of a horrible response. But you know, when I think of this poem that begins, two roads diverged in a yellow wood, and sorry, I could not travel both and be one traveler. You know, you may not know those opening lines, Dennis, but you certainly know the end of that poem. Every student in this group knows, right? Uh, so two roads diverged in the wood, and I, I took the one less traveled by, and that has made all the difference, right? So my point about that poem is when students start considering, just for instance, two roads diverge, and sorry, I could not travel both and be one traveler. The idea that there are some paths mm -hmm. in life that you cannot travel both on and still be one traveler, this idea of being a unified human being that has uh, unity and, and agency and all the things that we believe in. Here I am in line two of maybe the most famous American poem, and if that does not spur some critical thinking skills, you know, this whole idea of purpose and, and, and value and, and even the idea of divergence, you know, in a road where we are in a very, in a world where we are in a very divergent mindset about things. So, you know, here I am kind of uh, qualifying my statements, but I guess my point is, should that poem be required of all students, right? Uh, part of this, you, you, yeah. Well, yeah. The, well, the economists can say, hey, we already covered this. We, we talk about opportunity costs. Oh, boy. <laughs> yes, exactly. So it's not as, it's not as flowery, but hey, we've, we've got that idea covered, and it's an important idea. And they sure. actually emphasize this, too. Right. Well, so. <laughs> I would suggest that a friend of mine who once said, that's, not, that's a little bit like comparing apples to orchards. So <laughs> sorry to your economist <laughs> friends. But, uh, you know, from my perspective, the value that's in the humanities, especially when you try to distill it. Even as I, were, were, I was beginning to explain that poem, I was diminishing the overall value of the poem because it was, to me, the most valuable part was the beauty of the poem itself. And yes, it does speak to every student a little bit differently. I would just point out that if you reread the poem, I would suggest that while most students are attracted to the idea, oh, the less traveled road, they even think that's the title. You know, the title, of course, of the poem is The Road Not Taken. Mm -hmm. And so he took the less traveled road, but the title of the poem, and he's sighing right. ages and ages hence because he never was able to travel that other road. And so the only way to know that you've been on the road less traveled is to travel that road and look back upon it, right? So I, I think uh, one of the things that we often do is read through a little bit flippantly. But I would go back to say that some requirements are such that we do agree as academics. In the state of Ohio, for instance, there are 12 courses that every college and university that is accredited by the state has to offer. Now, again, they can offer it in different bunches and, and whatnot, but it's a 36-credit core that mm -hmm. is required. And I guess, you know, how many of those should be in the humanities, how many should be in the sciences, those are things that continue to, to be discussed. And, of course, you could go to a school that emphasizes one over the other, right? Ashland has never been just a liberal arts school. While we have a very strong liberal arts core, we're different from a place, say, like Oberlin, 
that has a very strong tradition in the humanities in that we are considered a comprehensive university. So we offer professional programs and have business schools and schools of nursing that, uh, of course, you're well aware of. We produce more teachers than any college or university in uh, Ohio have over the last 10 years except for Ohio State. So that's one of the, the ways that we diverge from others. But if you went to a place like Williams or St. John's, right, you know you're going to get steeped in that tradition. I'm thinking about, you know, even places like, uh, you know, where you went at Fordham. You know, Fordham's got a very uh, strong tradition in, in the liberal arts as well. Mm -hmm. And was your experience, well, you were in graduate grad education school, yeah. uh, at, at Fordham. So as we look to the future here, Dennis, and consider the humanities, they've been diminished. I mean, classical studies uh, have been on the decline, but then there's been this strange resurgence, right? Uh, strange to some. And classical education on the rise for K through 12, right? Homeschoolers right. are right. now starting to read original texts once again. As uh, you kind of look out on the broad landscape in higher education, what are your thoughts uh, for our listeners about where the humanities will fall? Will you see continued contraction or will there be more of a balancing? I, I mean, it's hard to say. I mean, you will, you'll know this kind of thing better than I will. I mean, I, I'm sort of inclined to think that it's, it's going to contract. I mean, I don't see how it can't, mm. um, given, well, certainly in, in, on conservative circles, I think there's two reasons. So one is, again, this kind of focus on just the, the economy and jobs, and also a pushback to what's perceived on the left is that all these disciplines are politicized. Right. So that, I think, makes, makes the humanities less attractive than they, than they should be, um, that really strong politicization of, of them. And, and it's funny, like Collard says, you know, we don't know these things, and then she'll say, like in passing, well, we know that racism is bad, and this is bad, and this is bad. Well, these are kind of humanities conclusions, right? So mm. we're not, not so agnostic, after all, mm. about these things. Uh, but it is, it is encouraging, and, and maybe it'll lead to a push down the road, right? So if all of these if there's an increasingly large population of, of um, primary and secondary school kids who have this, then they may say, well, I, I want more of this when I come to the university. Right. And so that might lead to some, some reconciliation there, or some, some rebirth of the, the humanities. But, but yeah, I mean, I think we need to have a, I mean, I, I think we need to have a less kind of agnostic view about its value, mm -hmm. that if anything has value in life, it, it ultimately has to be these sorts of things. Mm -hmm. um, there's this, this, this parable slash joke, however you want to, do, you want to classify it, where you have this, um, see if I get it right, I mean, I wasn't planning to, to, to recite this, but you have you know, two people who are kind of discussing what they want to do or you know, what, how they should live their life. And the one person says, yeah, I, I just, um, you know, I, I go out fishing every day with my, with my son and we spend time, we just, we just talk and, and grow closer. And the other person says, well, you know, instead of just, just fishing for the day, why don't you like, or, or instead of just fishing like an hour or two a day, why don't you fish for like five or six hours a day? Then you have more and you can sell and you can make some more money. Well, why would I do that? Well, if you do that, then you can, you can hire a bunch of other people to fish and you can make more money. Well, why would I want to do that? And, you know, he keeps going on, you know, right. you build this business and blah, 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 and you get more and more money. And the guy keeps asking, why would I do that? And he says, well, if you do that, then you can just, you know, spend, spend your time, you know, like fishing an hour a day and talking to your kid, <laughs> right? So, yeah, great. You've got this job. All right, so what? Well, what are you going to do with this job? Well, then I can have a family. Okay, great. What are you going to do with that? You know, and so on. And it's the, the humanities, right? It's this exploration of what's, what's the purpose of Ultimacy. life. Ultimacy. Yeah, 
Yeah, these questions of ultimacy. Well, that's where we'll leave it for our guests who are listening in. Uh, what a nice place to leave it, where these questions of ultimacy, which we think are the most important questions, you may not think that if you're listening in, and we want to hear from you. So please write to us at president at ashland.edu. We'd love to hear your comments, even if some of them are critical. We want to be better tomorrow and next semester than we were today. So join us again when we will continue to watch the skies here for you on the Watchers of the Skies program here from Ashland University. We'll see you next time.